Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest today is LeVar Jackson. We're going to talk about new patented technologies for energy generation. He's part of the YOG, called Y-O-G-H. And I wanted to turn on the recording as soon as I could because he's already uh, giving me all this interesting stuff before we start recording. But welcome, LeVar. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be on your podcast. Well, tell me a bit about your background, and uh, let's talk about what the yoga group is, uh, what your current activities are after that. Well, if you start at the beginning, I've done every job imaginable except uh, food service because I'm incredibly clumsy. I can cook. I'll, I'll drop it all uh, in a second. But I had spent about 15 years working in hospitality, you know, selling art to hotels and really striving forward towards being something more sustainable. And I had uh, come across a substrate that you could use on canvas that would make them recyclable, typically substrates that you put on canvases when you sell them to hotels they have to be thrown out because they're non-recyclable they're one-time use you know the guest comes in and does the fun things but the art has to be very resilient i would say so if you're the person that comes in to the hotel turns the lights on turns the ac or the you know the change of the thermostat then you go take a shower with the door open all that steam all the humidity all the light changes really destroys artwork so it has to be fairly robust but because i found the substrate it only costs about a penny more per square foot. Oh, wow. No hotel took it in 15 years. So it's the ROI that's not there. There's nothing that's saying like, hey, we're paying more because this is better. They're saying, hey, we're not paying for this because it makes us no more money. Can you bundle it? I mean, that's so cheap. Why not just bundle it in and not say a word? The margins for art are very razor thin unless it's a like well-known piece. So if something for the lobby, you have a lot of playroom and how much you can charge. The rooms are, in fact, the hotel tells you I'm going to pay $100 per square foot or $100 per painting or $50 per painting. This is all you're ever going to get. So if you bite off your, you're cutting your nails off of your own face, you end up being non-profitable for your own self, you have to add in the, to be sustainable while the hotel gets the benefit of being sustainable. And then if there's no downstream pipeline built to recycle that, then it's just going to throw it away anyway. Why not do like local artists, you know, so you can get this stuff a lot cheaper or a famous artist tell the hotel like, you know, hey, we got this generic stuff. If you want Bob Smith famous uh, artist, then it, it's more. And you bundle in that uh, protective coating on it so maybe it can be reused because, again, if it's from a famous artist or maybe like reprints of a famous artist, that might be a way. So for our more famous artists and particularly our local artists, we did have a buyback program for hotels. So at least we could reuse it. But there are some that are were damaged beyond that. So at least I did try to recapture, reuse. We weren't able to put in that recycle part, but at least we got to reuse some of the artwork. And then, you know, being having that as a lower price point so that other hospitality things like cafes, they could, you know, act and actually buy the art that they want or and decorate their establishments in a way that they feel is um, reflective of their business. I did that for 15 years. You know, COVID threw, us, threw a whole entire curveball at us and everyone stopped buying art for two years. Then I went into the green industry and I ended up selling carbon credits and I saw how 
messed up that market is, how ineffective. Before I start a rage on the internet, there are some carbon credits that are highly effective and there are some that are highly ineffective, but the highly ineffective carbon credits are the ones that everyone buys because they're cheapest. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, example of ineffective versus effective. So highly ineffective carbon credits is tree plantings. We should be planting trees because they do help with carbon capture, but they're not a permanent store. So the second it dies, it goes back in, the carbon goes back into the system and goes right back into the air. But it does help with biodiversity, plant life, uh, you know, other plant life, because there are other things that depend on trees, as well as, you know, fauna, flora, that kind of thing. Absolutely, we should be planting trees. Don't ever take it that I ever said that trees are important. Actually, I understand it's not permanent, but if you do carbon capture, okay, fine. You know, you capture carbon dioxide, but a tree would not only capture carbon dioxide for a period of time, but it would also produce oxygen. So there seems to be a double benefit there. Yes, but again, the carbon capture is maybe 50 years long, then it dies, and then it goes right back out into the system. We need to put the carbon away back to where it was in the ground because you need to take it out of the system completely. And that's the problem is that we're, you know, burning fossil fuels and we're letting the carbon that's been locked away for millions, you know, hundreds of millions of years, well, 65 million years effectively. And we're letting it out into a system where we're, Plant is not used to having that much carbon in active play for many years. So there's also no aftercare when it comes to the trees themselves. So they're planted as saplings. There's no guarantee that they're going to grow to full size. There's no guarantee that the company that planted them will not come back and cut them down. Charge again. So there are some companies that do it well. There are companies that do it terribly. And the ones that do it terribly are the cheapest because they don't care. They're just there to make money and they're not actually there to help and address the problem. Um, Direct air capture is the most effective, but also the most expensive. And you also have to do it in a way that you're not emitting more emissions by capturing that carbon than you are taking it in. But in effect, if you can do a low carbon system, so like um, we can get into some of the, the patents that we're rolling around with, but one is an algae growth system uh, that can be turned into a carbon sequestering system. It's 97% less water intensive than some other methods of carbon capture. You don't really have to do much to get to grow algae and you also don't need to use potable water. It could be salt water. It could be non-viable water. Wastewater? Yeah, it could use wastewater. You could use, you know, salt water. You could just drain, then you, some point you drain off the algae and then you stored that algae underground and you effectively did carbon capture, but you don't have to put that much energy into the system because the algae wants to grow itself. Leave a cup out and you'll see the weird things that grow in your water in your house. It's, the system has to be worked out to a better place, but we have to start somewhere. And I want to make sure that everyone knows that there's not one key to sustainability. It's going to have to be a multi-pronged um, system. So this is like one piece of the puzzle. No one piece is the whole puzzle. Well, tell me about you know, the current initiatives you're working on. You know, energy generation, I believe. So you know, what's that about? So Yo Group, we are a sustainable and impactful hotel of development and ownership group. But we're very tech-oriented and, and patent-focused. So we want to change the dynamic of that it costs more to be sustainable and impactful. We want to make it to be more profitable by being sustainable and impactful. And the whole market will move there. The second that that model works out, everyone's going to scoot down that way. I also want to change the relationship between hospitality and the surrounding community. So in a, you know, quote unquote, developed world, even now hotels are, can be quote unquote sustainable, but they're still consuming and competing for that same resource as the surrounding community. So whether that's power, whether that's heating, whether that's fuel of some sort, they're still competing with the people around them. Change that to your producer, that hotel's a producer. Then that relationship between that hotel and the surrounding community is something that is beneficial more than beyond just job. Then you can take that lens and take that perspective 
and you go to a place where perhaps you're in an undeveloped country or underdeveloped country or quote unquote the global south, but I don't like that word because there are undeveloped or underdeveloped countries in the north as well, where hospitality and tourism is their largest economy, economic driver. Now you become beyond just an economic, you know, driver. You become a source of life, source of power, source of, of all these things to your community. What do you mean? Like what roles beyond, you know, giving someone a place to sleep for a night in exchange for money, what roles would a hotel serve that you've imagined? So the roles of a hotel, I, I want to expand and switch again, changing it from a consumer to a producer. So that changes the way you interact with you as the resident interact, uh, the, you know, the local community interacts with that. So the only way the local community gets any benefit from a hotel is either they have a job there or they patronize the place, uh, you know, like, but if you stay there, if you're down the street, would you really want to stay at this hotel? You live down the street. Then there's the barrier to entry when it's a pricing. So if this hotel is, you know, located in an island nation, the people around that hotel don't have the means in which to stay in the hotel that they may even work at, you know, so if the rooms are a thousand dollars a night and they're getting paid $2 an hour, there's no way that they're going to patronize this. So you can take this structure, this massive structure, and flip it on its end. So now that you're pushing out power, you're providing a public public good by design. You're enriching your local community, which then can then enrich the hotel property. They can come back and spend that money that they've earned on property at the restaurant. It's a creating a circular economy. But through power, through heating, through electricity, um, you know, electricity. So to help us enable that circular economy between the hotel property and the local community, we invented the uh, energy generation system. And it's more of taking the readily available things and trying to create a as close to a zero waste system as possible. So we're very good at point efficiency. So we'll take, for instance, solar panels. Solar panels are highly effective at turning sunlight into UV rays into uh, electricity. But you've also wasted, you've taken that into that, you know, you got the power. Well, what if I just told you that even though if you're 95% efficient in turning that electricity into power, you just wasted 100% of the heat energy that hit your roof. Is that wasteful or non-wasteful? So now there's a, a waste component that you have. How do you recapture that heat? If you have deep base, well, wait. I mean, first of all, there's like probably very few so hotels that have solar at all. Right. Just to add that, it would be a good step. But then now you want to go further, and now the waste heat generated, you want to do something with that too. So yes, in the U.S., we are two percent of the hotels have solar panels on the roof. So that's also a. So I'll take it as a very. We'll display this in a very capitalist, you know, situation. And because again, if the money flows there and there's money there, the market will flow there. And that's it's it's not to demonize, you know, earning income. It's not to demonize that there's a financial benefit to this. It's just to show that that there it is there and that why not take advantage of it? You're leaving money on the tape. So you take that heat, you can heat the hot water, use the electricity that you have to on site, you use whatever cooling you need from the ground or another natural source, allow that to continue on through the system. And when the hotel is use what is need to, it could then be sold to the community. You could do it as sub, but you now you're a powerhouse for heating, cooling, and electricity to, depending on the community, may not even have electricity to begin with. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, 
researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. Why not look, well, expand the scope a little bit? Look at most businesses that are in an area. So, like, um, I thought about this, like, a, you know, a steakhouse or a barbecue place. You know, why not open the local uh, place that you know, does doggy daycare? All the meat that gets wasted at night, give it to the doggy daycare. The dogs will eat the bones and the meat. They'll love it. And they don't have to buy as much food for them. Like, why not look for, instead of just a hotel, why not look for other complementary businesses that can exchange what they would normally consider waste products so they can network together and therefore achieve these efficiencies? Maybe without like going crazy and buying all kinds of extra technology and stuff. Maybe it's a low cost way to do stuff. Yes. So part of the circular economy that we have and we're building out is that we'll have an art museum on a staff to help employ local artists because that's as someone who came from the art world, we are very underappreciated in hospitality, but it also becomes a demand driver so that people come to the property and will spend money in an ethical way. So like you want to come to the, and, and see the art, you'll get schools involved because we're so engineering focused. We'll have our own STEM lab on property because that's we need places to demonstrate our own technologies. Then that's a, our learning. We can bring in the universities and help them teach them how to innovate, teach them, give them an opportunity to work on property. You're also creating high paying jobs locally. Also, the problem with hospitality is that uh, out of every $10, $8 immediately leaves the, the community the second that someone spends that on the hotel property. It's automatically gone. How do you? What do you mean it's gone? Where does it go? Oh, it goes to the corporate. The corporate suck up all the money. Hit me with a car tomorrow because I'm giving up secrets. So the higher paying jobs, are off-site. So the owners, the investors, all these people are off-site. The people that are on-site are earning in the U.S., if they're, you know, service staff, they may be earning less than minimum wage, depending on the location. You know, there are certain states that require, uh, you know, service be paid more, but no, they're not high earning. The, the people that are making six figures are off or either the GM and a couple of other, you know, higher positions and the people above that. And those people don't live in the area uh, typically. So how do you recapture that? The algae that we spoke about can also be turned into food, fuel. So if something does have to get burned, at least it's been done in a way and done locally. So i looking to pair with someone that can turn the algae into um, fabric. So we can use that on the sea coverings. So you can use that on the couches, on the, the chairs. I can then take that business well, first, that's creating a business that did not exist and an economy that did not exist in that locale. It can be done on site in like the basement of the building effectively. Then that invites the whole entire economy to burgeon from that. And I will jokingly, of course, say you can also turn it into alcohol. So it'll be a bit like kombucha where no one really asked for it, but um, you got it. And I personally apologize if like algae beer becomes a thing. I know. What's wrong with it? Uh, it's a very earthy taste. I ruined everything that I say that I'm doing, I've actually practiced in my own home. So they'll also get into food sustainability. Let's take a quick detour. Have you tried to make your home and your existence to be, you know, low emissions? Yes. So what the first thing and the easiest thing I can tell other people to do is that if there's one thing that you throw out of your refrigerator, 
then you should grow it, particularly plants. So like the joke is like, oh, you bought the chopped salad and by the time the salad in the bag, and by the time you got to it, it was grilled and you had to throw it out. That's a huge amount of food waste. So what you can do is like take a, you know, little like pot and throw a couple of like lettuce seeds in there and grow that and then take the lettuce off as you need it. But the plant will still stay alive. You don't need to cut it down. So there's, you know, that affects hmm. transmission waste, um, you know, transportation uh, emissions. Then there's food waste. That's a lot of water waste because, you know, plants do take quite a bit of, of water around the green leafy stuff. So if you were talking about lettuce, spinach, so if that's the stuff that goes, you know, bad, you know, dedicate a little window space to it and then get a lettuce up. And if you have cats or dogs, you know, the lettuce up high, the cats and dogs will eat it to pieces, but you can impact it. But I also want to make sure that I impressed that climate change is as much a corporate responsibility as it is a personal one. So everybody around the world decided to stop doing everything they are doing now. You know, don't drive cars, don't eat red meat, don't, you know, like don't buy clothes. We're only affecting like 25% of the carbon emissions that happen every year. There's like, don't worry, the climate people that, that cry and scream want to, you know, want to blame it on everyone, the WEF and all that. We should eat bugs and live in darkness while they fly private jets. I know what you mean. Yes. So it's a corporate, but it's also a corporate liability. And I'll take, I live in New York City and we very much focus on the individual and we should always focus on the individual, particularly around like storms and things. Yes, that's a huge thing. So when you're looking at that beach and they're talking about the storm that happens, used to only happen once every hundred years. It's happening every five years now. And it knocked down a bunch of houses and destroyed this beautiful beach community. There's probably businesses there too that got destroyed. There's probably a hotel that's there that got destroyed. And I'm taking, for instance, New York City. We have never had this amount of like heavy rainfall that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like the last two years, it has been like torrential rains. The streets are flooding. Never before I have ever seen this in my 30 years of living in New York City. I was there for Hurricane Sandy. I used to live in New York. And I could tell you like the places on the South Shore of Long Island, I mean, the city didn't care. People lost houses and all that. And then they screwed, they had no power for a year and they screwed them trying to get permits. So yeah. a lot of people just gave up and left and businesses closed down. And the city didn't, the state of New York didn't give two shits about what happened to people. They could care less. And they, they had an incident the year before where the plows, they had some argument with the plowmen and they didn't put the plows down. So like the winter storm ended up killing a few people and they didn't plow the streets properly. So like, there's so much corruption that overlays this too. It's pushed past. It's hard. Yes. So as a business, you have to guard yourself to those liabilities. There's an unaccounted for liability. So this rainstorm, I'll, I'll finish the, you know, the rain things. The one of my last memories I have of my grandfather when I was very young uh, was taking me to the zoo. It was the Prospect Zoo in Brooklyn. The last rainstorm destroyed the Prospect Zoo, Prospect Park Zoo. It is never going to open again. It had been there since, I think, the 1800s. That is how climate change directly affects businesses as well as people. And I know that there's tons of houses that basements got flooded, destroyed their foundation. There's a couple of houses on Staten Island that I know of that had to be demolished because of the last rainstorm or in the process of being demolished. It's everyone's problem. So I, when people are like, oh, don't eat meat. But I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of other things that uh, corporates should also do. But it is starting to come into account where now I'm scouting for hotel locations that insurance is like slapping in their arm and telling me, hey, hey, no, no, not there. It rains a lot there. We're starting to see businesses are being damaged. You're going to be uninsurable fairly quickly. And Florida is one of those places. It's I wanted to build a place in Florida and they were like, nope, nope. 
insurance is like, no, 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 don't do that. Your insurance is going to sky high and we're going to drop you after four years if there's, if there's a single storm. Existing businesses, are they grandfathered in? Like if there's an existing hotel to renovate, let's say? No, nobody. It just the same way an insurance company can drop you personally. If your house is on that beach, they can drop you a business as well. It's a bit dicier because hotel owners tend to have quite a bit of money. So they'll say like, oh, I'll like damage you and take business from you in a, from that insurer in a different area. But they can affect you. They can drop you just the same commercially or personally. Okay. All right. Keep going. It's a quandary that I have. That's like, how do we fix this? But it's not everyone's fault. How do we fix the needs that we can fix quickly? How do we shoot, you know, further down the road and plan that way? And well, I think you see from your working carbon credits, no one is doing the calculation. Electric cars versus gas-powered cars. Where is the actual calculation of all the inputs, all the externalities, a real accurate comparison? I've never seen it. I've asked people, different scientists in the area, say you'll never see it. They don't want it out there. Yeah, so it's... So, you know, like carbon credits, for instance, could sound wonderful and romantic. Who knows if the system is just a total net negative? You don't know until you really get into it, so... That's what I'm looking for is someone to actually give real numbers and real comparisons. And then I would think it'd be easier to do the right thing. So if you look at the actual numbers and say, will this truly increase or decrease whatever I'm looking to target or no? Okay. So I will 100% agree with there is like, we're very good at point efficiency, but we have to start looking at system efficiency. So we're good at like, hey, the electricity came from here, but how did that electricity get made or who made it? And you can do the impact side of it. But there's also, we are a living world and sometimes you have the best of intentions and then it kind of throws back on you in the worst way possible. So I'll take the, for instance, there was a town in Norway. Norway is very plastic rigid. They're, they do not use plastic any recycle. 99 point something percent. The only other country that comes close is Japan. And I think Japan's 98% of the plastic they use actually reuse or recycle. And they have bags. Instead of using plastic bags, they actually use the like cloth bags for like vegetables when they go to the store. They don't even use plastic bags for that. And in the US, we still do that quite a bit. Then the fad came around like in 2010, where everyone started using, you know, 2010, 2015, where everyone started wearing like plastic shirts made from plastics. And this explicit town, all the fish started dying. And it was because when they washed those plastic shirts that they had bought, microplastics had gone into the water, into the wastewater, into the streams, and into their, into their oceans, their seas, and started choking the fishes in their gills. So even though the best of things like, hey, we have this plastic, we should put it to use, it was put to use in a way that people, and it had a result in something that you might not have seen coming. You didn't yep. think like, hey, the fiber is, come off of your clothes. Tended consequences or negative externalities. Yeah. Yes. So that happens quite a lot. So a lot of people do come in with like, hey, you know, batteries for the cars are fantastic, but how are the batteries being made for the cars? Then you're like, oh, that might not be so good. Or it's like, there may be like cobalt and there's like slave labor. I had read, you know, a story about that. We were cobalt mines are effectively forced labor. That's not good. We have to be able to balance what's good for the planet, what's good for the people. And when we reach that spot, that's when I think we'll be like golden, but it's going to take. What if, what if you create a simple framework, you know, you put an acronym to it uh, again, like community, individuals, economic, I don't know what the acronym would be, but you use that as a template by which you work to optimize or design anything that you're doing, any future product projects or existing ones. You know, it sounds like you have all this in mind, but you need just maybe a simple framework that you adhere to that addresses a lot of these issues, you know, like yeah. a checklist or something. So the checklist, I can give you the rundown, which is 
it starts off with how this was made, so the materials and where they came from. Also, who made this because it has to be good for the planet. You can't make something and then use child labor or slave labor to make it. That's not good. It's not going to be something that is seen good and it's something that will sink that whole entire industry right behind it when people find out like this is made in a terrible fashion. So you start out with that. Then you go to what's readily available. So the system that we have, particularly around energy generation, we try to use as many common parts as possible. If it can't be found at Home Depot, we try not to use it. Then you go into how far it travels. Then you go into the benefit for the property and for the people that surround it. So then you ripple out. So if it's good for the community that surrounds it, then it's usually good for the community that's extended. So if you build something, typically... Not typically, if you see a factory and the factory is surrounded by like a wasteland, it's not good for the community. And whatever they're producing is not good for the planet. It's not good. So you you can, it's a very easy litmus test to see how the community surrounding a business is doing health-wise, business-wise, financial-wise is a direct reflection on that business or businesses, depending on if it's multiple businesses. Okay. So with this framework, how is that changing how you're doing projects or how you're innovating? So it's part of the innovation is empowerment, empowering the community, empowering the people that surround potential properties to do the best that they can. So the first thing you have to do when you build a hotel is the EIS, which is an environmental impact study. I've done environmental impact studies on potential properties, and I found that it takes six months to a year, but I'll get the same exact information if I just ask the local, like, hey, what happens at this property? Are there like pretty birds or exotic birds and they'll say yeah there's something here or you say hey is there a lot of flooding and just like my story of being in new york and saying i don't remember this much amount of rain someone local will go hey no there's a lot of rain here that river floods every three months or it's starting to flood much more frequently or we're getting storms much stronger than it had ever been before empower the people that are there because they can give you the answers the quickest then you can pay those people and help uplift that uh, community as well as, you know, burgeon an economy around local, quote unquote, EIS or surveyors. That is a good word for that. It shapes where we buy our food. You know, taking that example of, you know, growing things locally, there's always space in a hotel that's unoccupied. You can grow the things that you use the most or the things that you waste the most or the things that come the furthest. So, for instance, if you have this beautiful hotel and there's a tomato farm down the road, you do not buy it. You do not plant tomatoes on your property. There's no point. It's right there. You can go walk and get it. You can, you know, elect for an electric car to go get it. And you don't need to produce a lot of, you know, emissions getting it. But if you have dishes that use a lot of saffron and saffron comes from the Middle East or Asia, and you're dragging that all the way around the world back to your property, Perhaps you should figure out if you can grow those in like a greenhouse indoors or in a little greenhouse on the roof or something. Then it's also cost. The tomatoes are cheap. That saffron is like $75 an ounce. You know, making your business more profitable, more sustainable, and more impactful. The impact part, we could get to that later. But by growing that high cost, high transport item locally versus, you know, dragging. Then if you say a over plant and you can sell it to the community. You can have, you know, a farmer's market on your um, property and say, bring all the people down. You know, now you're bringing, you're engaging the community to come onto your property that normally or may not go into the property, spend money there and also get access to a food item that they may not have had access to before, or it's high cost items. You can bring the cost of food down by not letting something go to waste. The same way you're like, yeah. hey, perhaps you should donate this to, you know, homeless shelter. You can do the same, but 
you know, it can add a little bit of cost, but maybe that saffron I can sell it for, you know, $25 an ounce versus the $75 an ounce. And now someone who normally would not have had it will have it or some, you know, they'll use it. But that's also a recapture moment. So now you're more profitable by doing this as a hotel, by being sustainable and impactful than not be sustainable and impactful. Okay. I understand. Very good. I mean, we're close to being out of time. And I can see you have tons of ideas. How can people follow the Yoga Group? Where can they go to see what you're working on and what the group's working on and, and keep tabs? You can always go to our website, which is www.yog.group or it's yogh.group. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram as well. Yog Group, Y-O-G-H Group, Inc., I-N-C, because we're incorporated. And please reach out. We're always also looking for innovations. So if you've got a wild idea or you can help us go to that sustainable future, please reach out and we'll see what we can do. Excellent. Well, Avar, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.